This is Limit Up, the show where we explore markets, strategies, and trading psychology so that you can take your trading to the next level. Traders, speculators, and hedgers, welcome to the Limit Up podcast presented by Top Step Trader. I'm Jack Pelzer, joined by Dan Hodgman. How you doing, Dan? Hey, everybody. Jack, I'm good. How are you? I'm doing great. Uh, Dan, I have to award you the uh, Jerome Powell money gun trophy for <laughs> your call last week. We were calling it live when the uh, S&P was going to, what was it, 2760? 2760. I said, that's going to be the low. Well, uh, now it's uh, making a run at 3,000 as we record this on Wednesday. I want to be clear. I missed it by one tick. It came down to 2760 quarter. Um, but I'm glad you remembered because I've been calling, I've been saying that level for like two weeks now. I'm like, I really like this. I really like 2760. And I've been anxious for it to come into play. And so uh, it finally did. Yeah, if I was uh, sent through the future from a year ago, and you just told me that the uh, S&P 500 was up 5%, I'd be like, wow, <laughs> what happened? Nothing, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> it's like, oh, okay, standard. Let me check my box. We're at 29.70 right now. It's got to make a run past 3,000 before it does anything. Well, we've got the 200-day moving average is sitting at 27.99, I believe is the price that the 200-day moving average is at. That's surreal. I think a lot of people are going to be watching that price. I think that's the next level that we really need to keep a close close eye on. There's a few levels um, every 50 points or so that have a lot of activity going on. So it'll be interesting to see how that's going. But uh, also want to say that today we have a great episode for you. We interviewed Jeremy Tang and Zach White of Shark Indicators. This is a lot of fun too. It's a whole different kind of approach than we normally take. We sat down with a couple of guys that are the tech geniuses, the ones that understand how systems work. And uh, it was a really um, intriguing and educational conversation for myself. I've tried to teach myself the code over and over again uh, since high school, and I, I, just, I just don't have it in me. Um, so I super respect everyone that can, all the developers out there. You have my eternal respect. But yeah, it was great to see it from that end. And it's our first uh, four-person remote interview. So we were a little stacked. Like I always use the example of the uh, Beatles on the Let It Be album. Mm -hmm. So uh, I think we did a decent job of not talking over each other. So yeah, I think nice. it was a great conversation. Learned a lot from them. They had some great insights to talk about. And um you know, I'm excited to see where uh, Shark Indicator goes from here. Yeah, we were uh, already talking a little bit about the equity futures, which is still like what I am spending a lot of time looking at just because it's pretty exciting right now. But uh, something that's been a little less exciting, we just had uh, another oil expiration that uh, I'll just say it uh, disappointed after, I don't know how it could have shown up uh, in May expiration. <laughs> compared to May. Yeah, I uh, once again, you got to know when you should stay out of things. I'm I'm so glad I wasn't drawn into this by the siren song of shorting that front month. I've been wanting to be long gold or oil since it was at eighteen dollars, and 
I actually was about to go long a bunch of outright contracts. Um, it was going to be the June month. It was going to be the June contract. I was going to go long right before expiration. And I kind of bounced this idea off a couple different people. And I said, do I really want to get in now? And they're like, let's just wait for expiration to come through, see how things go. We know demand's going to eventually come back. I think, you know, opportunity is going to be there, but right now hold out. So I said, all right, I'm going to hold out. I'm not going to jump in on the, uh, the oil contracts yet. And so glad I stayed away from that. Yeah. For all the traders out there, I think this is a good lesson too in you shouldn't draw too many conclusions from freak occurrences. You know, one time does not a pattern make would be one way to say it. And, you know, something like oil going negative $40, it wouldn't be a freak occurrence if it was something that just kept on happening. So, yeah. I would agree. And I think a lot of people kind of had that mentality if you look at it right now, you're seeing really good volume in the back months um, through the rest of this year. They are trading. There is some pretty good volume across. So I think a lot of institutional guys are being a little bit more cautious about trading this front month going into expiration. And, and so I think everyone's just very cautious to allow this market to do a 137% move in a day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You want to hear a super galaxy brain take from Jackie P? Yes. That's me for those listening. <laughs> I go That's your by DJ Jackie. name? Uh, no, it's when I put my tinfoil hat on and start talking about the markets. <laughs> Is I think this might have softened us up. So for you know a, a year or two, we've been talking about the negative rate stuff in Europe. And there's, there's this battle going on where a lot of speculators are thinking despite the Fed saying they're not going to do it, really warning against it is that there are going to be negative rates in the future. And um, there's sort of this back and forth, Powell's trying to jawbone, traders going to trade. I think it becomes more likely because I, I couldn't conceive of negative oil prices. I think something like that's really softened perceptions up for a negative rate run in the future. I thought we would see negative rates before we saw any other product go negative like that. Interesting. I think it's feasible. President Trump has been pushing for this for a while. Uh, We know Jerome Powell is not a huge fan of it. We also do know Jerome Powell has given in a little bit when it comes to what President Trump wants. I think right now, one of the more intriguing things that's happening is today, there is the first ever auction since 1986 for the 20-year bond. Oh, yeah. The 20-year bond is being introduced. So we know what that's doing. We know that that's the government looking to borrow money. We know the Fed isn't, they're all needing money. We're watching these constant federal fundings going on across the country right now. Bailouts, whole nine yards. I really do think um, that anything right now could really happen. Yeah. I'm going to say this. You have to be careful in all these things. I'm going to say this in the least political way possible. I think Powell does not want it. And I also am of the strong inclination that President Trump does not fully understand the way interest rates work outside of a real estate setting. You know, he has talked in the past about refinancing the national debt, about negative rates being a good thing. I I think negative rates would be terrible. I mean, negative rates would 
destroy uh, the financial plumbing of our country, I think, right? I mean, how does a bank survive? Right. They, I don't think they do. I, I think I think it's hard to survive that. Why would a bank want to lend you money if they're paying you to borrow that money? Like the the concept around it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Yeah, they start and it goes beyond just charging like they do in Switzerland. Now, if you have a certain amount of money, they charge you to keep it there. It's just the whole loan structure begins to break down. Like it makes it harder for people. You know, you're not gonna be able to go out and get a negative rate on your mortgage or something. I mean, it'll if anything, it'll really tighten up who's allowed to get one. Because if if I'm only getting near zero return on something, I better be damn sure that this person's going to pay it back. So I think it could be a bad thing. And then also the wider problem is that it, it could, similar to 2008, really explode the derivatives bomb. I mean, there's what, a hundred trillion or some outrageous number that isn't based in reality of derivative type products out there. And right. That's where the too big to fail thing comes from, right? It, it's an interesting thought. I still haven't really wrap my head around this concept of if we go negative, what's the outcome? Because I really do believe Jerome Powell will stick to his guns on that. Um, I just don't see it happening. Uh, We've seen the issues that it has, that have taken place in Europe and other places that have gone negative. And I just don't think we're in that territory where we need to be there. Right now you're seeing lending Every single person out there right now, let's just talk real estate again. Real estate right now, it is such a buyer's market. There are more buyers out there than there are sellers. There are more people looking to borrow money to purchase a home than there are to sell those homes. That There's not that demand at this point where we really need that influx of spending. Sure. So Jerome Powell is sticking to his money guns. <laughs> That's the my old- theory. I think he does. I think he sticks to it. Um, I, and obviously, it's all subject um, where the economy's at in six months from now. Well, before we get to the interview, I guess we, we would both agree on is that where the rubber's going to hit the road is the Fed hasn't been pushed yet in that speculators aren't pricing in negative rates yet. That will be where he's going to have to make a decision. It's, it's easy to say no negative rates until they're being expected. And then you have to disappoint everyone. Right. And we're seeing, we're seeing economies open up now. Um, I'm in Wisconsin right now. Everything is open. There are no restrictions. Bars are getting packed wall to wall. People are out spending money. Um, I know Wisconsin's kind of ahead of most states, but we're seeing this, you know, around the country right now, people are getting back to normal again. And I think, um, you know, spending will increase. We're going to see GDP try and attempt to get back to normal. Consumer confidence is going to start to pick up again. You know, I haven't gone into the bars, but I have driven past them and they are slam packed. A bunch of my friends own bars up here and they're searching for employees. Uh, They need help because they can't keep up with the demand. Well, very cool. I wish them the best in that um, in part because that'll decide what happens next where I live in Chicago. Right. So, uh, yeah, well, with all that loveliness out of the way, uh, I think it's about time we kick things over to the interview with Zach White and Jeremy Tang of Shark Indicators. We'll see you after for a few more words. 
All right, guys, uh, welcome to the virtual studio once again for, I don't know, what is this, the eighth, tenth week of lockdown? I've band? lost count. I've, I've completely lost count. Yeah, I've just, uh, I've just given in. This is my life now. But something that's making my day a little bit brighter is that we are joined on the Squadcast Network today by Jeremy Tang and Zach White, who are the co-founders of Shark Indicators. Hello, guys. What's up? Hey, how's it going? Hey, how's it going, traders? I'm sure it's going a okay for them. Um, not a ton of action yet in the markets today. I thought we were finally going to have a down day, but uh, that doesn't seem to happen anymore. Why would that happen? We have no good, no real bad news coming out in these markets. They just want to keep going up. Well, the real bad news makes it go higher. <laughs> <laughs> I thought Tesla was going to explode today after uh, one of Elon's rants this weekend, but uh, we digress. You know, on this show, a lot of times uh, we are interviewing people who have just straight, more traditional trading careers and backgrounds. But what's really awesome about our guests today is that they come more from the software development and tool side that they uh, make tools for retail traders. So we were just talking about before we started recording here, um, how did you guys get started in that? Or where did you meet, I guess, is where I'm leading to. Yeah, so Zach and I uh, met first on a forum called uh, Big Mike's. Uh, which is now futures.io. And uh, really, the, the both of us were searching for the same thing. We were looking at actually creating an automated trading tool. And uh, the whole point of it being is I was really lazy. Uh, and uh, getting into trading, I found that, um, at least for me, it was quite challenging. And so I figured if I had some sort of tool that uh, could do the hard work for me, and I wouldn't have to battle my emotions while trading that uh i could i could obtain success and um so zach and i met on the forum and and we started discussing ideas in terms of how we could automate uh trading entirely and uh if if not doing that 100 percent, maybe automating aspects of it and basically that's how our company was born cool so at that time you guys were coming at it from so you were both trading futures maybe on your own or you'd been doing it for a while and you were just looking for ways to automate it um so do you come from you have a lot of experience with software is that what you were doing before you started trading or is this something you got into i'll let zach speak for himself but for me i'm uh, i've been a software developer since i was a little kid literally programming computers before long before the internet existed on apple IIe's, uh actually prior to that even on Atari's. And so software development has always been in my background and trading was something that was more just a, like a means to an end. It wasn't something that, uh, at least I found that I could took, I took to very well. Um, I'll be the first to admit I'm actually not very good at it because I was, it was, it was difficult for me to, to manage emotions and, and whatnot. And so I figured instead of trying to do something that I'm just simply not cut out for, uh, and to be honest, like every time I hit the charts and I, studied them, I just found myself wanting to develop more code instead. And so I just finally just knowing myself enough, realized that, hey, you know what, instead of trying to force something that I'm not good at, um, focus on my strengths and and build an actual tool instead. And there's kind of more to the story to this, but eventually it became a commercial product because uh, again, it was it was uh, it was our passion. Uh, but I'll let Zach sort of give his little background in, in terms of how he started with the company. 
Yeah, it's kind of interesting that Jeremy had a, a different viewpoint on this, to get a different kind of approach from his background. Yeah, my background was, you know, I think Jeremy and I met about 10 years ago now, maybe maybe 11 years ago. And so I was working with this um, other friend, uh, his name's Ranger, and he was a civil um, engineer by trade. So he was an engineer. So he was great at doing research. And I had more of the programming background. So he would come up with these great ideas. You know, he'd do, you know, he'd read these research papers, mathematical and, and, you know, trading studies and stuff like that, you know, and then I would code them up, you know, so we're just kind of going through this, you know, the typical, I guess the typical trader's path of, you know, looking for ideas and trying to fully automate them, you know, backtest them and all that. And we, I was so overloaded, you know, so we were like, hey, let's get a third person into the party. And we came across Jeremy, who was perfect because he was a, he's a professional programmer, far better than me. You know, and then over time, you know, we basically, um, you know, we all kind of had to go back to our day jobs. You know, but Jeremy and I still stayed in touch. And as Jeremy's was alluding to, you know, with this great programming background, he started developing this tool that could help us speed up you know, the development of testing various ideas. And eventually Jeremy got to the point where, you know, I was like, hey, since this is such a great tool for us, you know, just imagine all the other traders out there that could benefit from using this, you know, and I'm like, hey, you know, we could just start off small, supplement our, you know, with a little supplemental income, you know, sell this on the market, you know, and then the next step, here we are, you know, nine years later with, uh, you know, with a full-fledged company, you know, little did we know that this was going to turn into, you know, as big of a company at, um, as it has been, <laughs> you know, so it's kind of like, uh, you know, it's, it's definitely put my trading on hold a little bit because it's, you know, it's kind of hard to run a company and trade at the same time. You know, I try and do my best, <laughs> you know, I try and trade as much as I can, but, uh, you know, I find it it's, it's it's a bad combination to, you know, try and run a company and trade at the same time. So, you know, I try and keep, you know, one foot, you know, in, in both both areas, you know, one foot in trading and one foot in the company. So that's kind of like, yeah, my perspective of how things got started with our, our Bloodhound software. Guys, I got to say, this is one of the most interesting starts into the trading world I think I've ever heard. Jack and I have done a lot of different podcasts. I've been around this since the day I was born. Everyone's story about getting started in trading is always, you know, I, I saw it in a movie. Um, I grew up in the industry. I, I was in Chicago and all everyone talked about was, you know, the Chicago Board of Trade. So I got to ask, you guys are software developers, programmers. You understand the computer. I barely can turn the dang thing on. What made you go to the trading route versus something else? Well, I think things really took off when, um, well, first of all, like the trading route was like, again, it was something that I was dabbling in, uh, as a, as a means to make money. And it wasn't until Zach just pinged me one day and he said, look, Jeremy, there's this, I'm following this guy, this, this guy in this trade room and he's like clocking in a lot of money. Uh, you know, all we got to do is let's just study this guy and try to automate what he does. And, you know, will be rich essentially <laughs> it started. Um, but uh, of course things are not as in most things in life. 
uh, not as simple as, as they seem on the surface. And so we, we got about to, to study this, this individual and yeah, he was very good, but also very intuitive. But one thing we noticed right away was he was constantly evolving his trade methodology, his trade systems. Um, and, uh, me and, uh, well, both of us, I would say we're trying to keep up with his, uh, modifications and iterations of his, of his trading style and coding them. It was impossible. He would announce, okay, I'm going to introduce this new indicator or this new method or this, I've just noticed something today that, you know, I'm going to implement and I'm doing some testing on. And then I would, I would study it and then I would try to code it up. And by the time I'd finished coding it up, you know, he was on to the next thing and next iteration. And so we were just always one step or two steps behind. And not only that, his own programmer was always a couple steps behind as well. And so this became a kind of a big, big issue in terms of, you know, how are we going to keep up? And so eventually we just got around the idea of just, okay, well, let's just create a platform that allows us to change things up really fast and real time, literally. And that's, that's the basis of our main product, um, which is called Bloodhound, which is the idea that you can, you can iterate and you can quickly uh, change up your trade system just with a few mouse clicks as opposed to actually coding it. And so these, this day, like even, even as a, a software developer, like Zach and I just recently did this, uh, this webinar where the challenge was me, like I was coding a particular system that he had he'd come up with. And it took me a full 45, 50 minutes to just type it out and, de- you know, debug it and go iterate through it. And then, with our software, he just did it uh, side by side, literally with with me, or right after, uh, and he implemented it within five minutes. So it's you know the tool really in the end is is uh, was born out of that frustration. Yeah, you talk about the importance of keeping up, and that's what sort of the trading industry, especially when you get into any sort of automated or algorithmic trading. And just for some background information for any listeners out there, is if you go to any of the you know, big, successful prop shops that are still around. Uh, it's not full of traders. And they're different businesses in that there's no marketing department. There's no anything like that. You have traders and you have developers. And they're usually in a one-to-one ratio or more developers than there are traders because so much of these um, advanced strategies are built on just being able to get stuff out quick and being able to adapt quick. And um, it's really the most important part almost of trading now is the uh, development end, really. Yeah, it's there's definitely uh, everything is so accelerated these days when you think about it. And the trading industry is is, is no different. Um, everything's just moving at light speed. And um, the only way to keep up is either A, you have the resources to or the staff to hire many developers to keep up with changes and iterations or you don't uh, and you have to rely on some sort of software uh, that can do the same thing and so where our kind of our company fits is we we, we fill a retail niche because they're um you know not that i'm an expert with the, the prop firms or hedge funds but uh from what i have heard is they if they don't have their internal staff or they maybe do have internal development staff they'll they'll actually use if they don't have that, uh, they'll use uh, software, off-the-shelf software that costs uh, way more than any retail trader can afford. 
And so there's a sort of uh, hole in the market for retail traders uh, that have a lot less resources than that, but still want to benefit from the same uh, technology. That's really awesome. So and I years ago, gosh, it's been five, I think, four years, five years now, um, I used to watch over a Euro spread algo. And you talk about Bloodhound and how it's you're able to adjust real time. Um, that was one of the things that I had to learn how to do. I barely any coding, but it was that morning adjustment, like expectations of the day, set parameters, things around that. When we're looking at when you're talking about Bloodhound, what are some of these adjustments that you're making in every day, and what are you looking at with that uh, software? Well, the software itself isn't pre-programmed with with anything. It's actually a blank slate, so that um, you know it's it's designed to replace you know hand coding, writing code to kind of come up with a complete automated system. So it has what's called solvers, which are like nodes. So think of it like a flow chart. So if you can imagine a flow chart, right, you grab, you know, these objects and put them on what we call the logic board. You know, so if you're putting together a flow chart, right, you grab all the little objects and you connect them together with with leaders, right, to create a, a little flow diagram. So the Bloodhound software kind of operates the same. And we have, you know, what Jeremy came up with called solvers that look for basically various charting conditions. You know, so like some simple examples that everybody understands are crossover conditions. You know, when two moving averages are crossing over or when the MACD crosses the zero line, you know, stochastic crosses the 80 or the 20 value. You know, we have a slope solver that tells you you know, whether an indicator is sloping up or sloping down, you know, you can even put requirements as to making sure that it has a, you know, high degree of slope, or you can determine, you know, is it, is your indicator kind of flat, you know, in its slope, you know, so you have all these solvers that look and identify these various conditions, you know, which is what chartists are doing. That's what day traders are doing. They're looking at their indicators you know, and looking for all these conditions to line up to tell them, you know, hey, this is when you take a trade. You know, you go long when all your indicators line up, you know, and, and whatever your trading rules is. And then the Bloodhound will give you a signal saying, you know, and it depends on how people want to use it. Um, you know, so Bloodhound isn't constrained to only using it one way. You know, uh, definitely, typically, most people use it to get discrete trade signals. So on one bar, you know, you'll get a buy signal, you know, and, or you'll get a, a sell signal. But also, you know, a good handful of our customers use it just to give them a heads up to tell them what the market bias is at. And then they still use their own discretion to, you know, maybe wait for that pullback, you know, or they're, they're still might, might be looking at a, one or two indicators to see, to try and, you know, uh, guesstimate what the strength of the move is, and maybe they just jump in right away. So some people use the Bloodhound software, you know, it's like a heads up, you know, get ready. It looks like there's going to be a move coming. And a lot of them, and probably the majority of them, use it for getting discrete trade signals saying, you know, buy on this bar, sell on this bar. Yeah, at top step, um, you know, we have all of our traders are retail traders. And I think that even sometimes it could be daunting if you don't have a background in computers or things like that to start getting involved with trade um, automation. 
But when you talk about the flowchart and things like that, I think no matter where you are as far as computers, it's a really great exercise to very concretely put down what your strategy is, what the parameters are, what a flowchart would look like if you were trying to program this somehow, because that'll keep you more honest, but it'll also make you think about how exhaustive is um, how much am I leaving up to just the feels, so to speak, as opposed to what could I teach a computer to do? So I think it's everyone can find value in doing something like that. Yeah, you know, I host a weekly training session, a live training session, you know, on Thursday and Friday for both of our products. And, you know, the one thing that I find as a, you know, collateral side effect that helps our customers out is most people go into trading, you know, as we all do with this, just looking at a chart, you know, and we can kind of visualize, you know, in our head and come up with these ideas. But, you know, one thing that humans are great at is fudging things, you know, like a human can understand what, what a cup is, you know, any, any shape or form or size, you know, we have an intuitive understanding of what a cup looks like. But when you bring that into a computer, trying to teach an AI to understand what a cup is, you know, or to understand what a fire hydrant is, you know, everybody's done those captures, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, we're trying to help train those AIs. And so in this training class, you know, humans do the same thing, you know, right? When you become a, when you first want to become a trader, you're looking at your chart, you're looking at your indicators and you're like, yeah, you know, I just look for my indicators to do X, Y, and Z, you know, and then they kind of look, you know, on historical charts, kind of back tested in their head. But then when they come into the class, what I see a lot is that they're all learning to take that intuitive human visual understanding and putting it into more concrete definitions so that they actually understand what their idea is in written form and in more, you know, concrete, logical form versus kind of looking at a chart and just kind of fudging it, you know? And so, yeah, it's, it's interesting to watch. Yeah. A lot of our customers go, go through that. So. And one of the interesting like calories of this, of being able to put it and articulate it in a logical form is that it becomes repeatable. And once you have it repeatable, you can back test it. And that's something we found that's a, also another thing a lot of retail traders don't do, mainly because, not because they don't want to, but because it's just impractical to spend the time, for the most part, to backtest, say, a system. You imagine, say, you've got some ideas in your head and you're, you're, you're trying out a few things on the chart, and then you go through and, you know, reams of reams of data, past days or past months of, of, of charting data, and you manually try to scribble out what your actual results would be had you found have you followed that system to a t and then imagine you make one slight tweak to it and then you gotta go through the whole process again you know if that took you a whole weekend it's imagine every single change that you make is going to take a long time and so it'll take a very long time for you to get to to arrive at at at, at a system that you're comfortable with so much so that it's all it's 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 just simply not done most retail traders just skip that step because it's just so time intensive and laborious. And with a tool like ours, once you've articulated it and let the computer 
do its thing. It's just, it's just very efficient at these things. So you can actually articulate it and then just click a button and have your results pop out. And that kind of gives you more confidence that your system is sound and, and will actually work. And so for a lot of retail traders, a lot of our customers, it's, it's actually a, a godsend because it allows them to actually do back testing, whether or not they actually use the system discretionarily or they decide to use it, uh, use the signals and take every single one. It's still up to them, but at least they have a better understanding of, of how their, how their trading system would behave in the real markets. This sounds really, and I don't want to, I'm not a computer guy, like I mentioned. So it sounds very intuitive. It sounds pretty easy for someone without any experience to jump in. So a guy like me who can barely turn the thing on, I have a hard time when I'm not hooked up to my monitors and my charts aren't there and then I can't find the charts. I mean, it's it's a pain in the butt. So a guy like me, how long and how much work is it to get in there and start to build out this for myself? Well, you know, everything's relative, right? So right. <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll say that, you know, it's... Yeah, it's not like you can just jump right in. Um, it it kind of depends on your mindset. You know, uh, another thing I notice, you know, in, um, so I'm the one that primarily works with our customers. I'm kind of like the customer interface. Um, you know, and Jeremy's the expert programmer. And, you know, there's, I think, you know, the average person kind of understands there's, there's two mindsets. There's a really artistic person who's good at, who sees the world artistically. And then there's the logical mindset where everybody just, you know, they just see things grouped in logical bins. So for the logical mindset, you know, there's definitely a little bit of a learning curve because you got to convert, you know, your, your visually what you're seeing into, you know, logical understanding, you know, which is kind of a little bit of my last story I told of, you know, the typical trader who just looks at a chart and they kind of intuitively, you know, come up with rules in our heads you know, and they got to learn how to convert that over into logical steps, you know, so for that mindset, you know, there, there's a little, little bit of a learning curve. Um, but for the guys, you know, like myself included, who do have that logical mindset, you know, who are basically the kind of personality that's like becomes a good per engineer or something like that. You know, those guys take to it like duck does water. You know, it's just like, they just jump right in. They just know exactly what's happening and there's just, you know, basically they just got to learn, you know, some of the little bit of the details of the software, you know. Yeah, definitely. Things like that, you know. So, yeah. Um, yeah, so, and again, it, it depends on dedication. You know, I find, you know, there's still a lot of traders out there who are working a day job. So, obviously, you know, they're doing this on the weekend, you know. But I've seen some more artistic mindsets learn it very quickly. And I've seen others kind of take like maybe a year. It just depends on how much time, you know, you have to devote to your trading aspirations. Absolutely. Um, so one thing, now I'll break it down and get a little bit uh, philosophical for a second because I'm interested. And I think uh, you guys are good people to talk to about this. As, as far as trading goes, what do you think? Obviously, there's things that computers are much better at. You know, computers are always going to be faster the sort of arbitrage trades and that have completely disappeared because it's computers fighting over it. What are some things you think that right now and kind of going forward that humans are still good at and computers are, and what are some things that computers are better at? And do you see uh, kind of going forward how that's going to go? 
Well, the, I'll speak to the the research aspect of it because it's sort of I, I sort of see it as a trader's job is is twofold. One is the research of creating a system, say for example, and then the other side is the execution side. And there's no doubt in my mind that when it comes to researching and figuring out what works and what uh, what may be profitable uh, using, say, back data or even for testing, the computer absolutely excels at that. And there's almost no reason why you should you'd want to be doing that manually, other than maybe say training yourself or whatever. But even then, you know, if you, if you want to verify what you you know your your trading uh, ability. Uh, you know, you still use the computer a fair bit to, uh, to to assist in that research aspect of it. In terms of the uh, actual execution, you know, really, I think it's just it's a it's a it's how comfortable you are with uh, with using computer assist. And that's one thing we kind of recognized early on was that everybody has a different uh, take on it. You know, there's this raging debate out there of whether automated trading systems are actually good versus a discretionary trader, you know, which is better. And, and honestly, we're not really, we don't really partake in that debate because uh, everybody's different. Some we've seen discretionary traders that are incredible, you know, and consistent. Uh, and then we've seen uh, automated trading that's uh, just the exact opposite. So, you know, it's, it's really uh, uh, again, up to, up, up to the individual in terms of what their comfort level is. We've heard a lot of things about automated trading having a lot of really wild equity swings in your in your account because it it's just not it just it's just not adjusting with all the you know variables that are going on in the world that say human can can digest and so one of the things are we like to to say to our to potential customers of ours is that we don't try to pigeonhole you in any particular trading style whether you you like to do fully automated trading or you like to do discretionary or somewhere along the spectrum, somewhere in the middle, it's always going to be sort of an assist uh, either way. And so we don't really try to jump on any side of the fence and say, well, one's better than the other because it, it really isn't. It really depends on the individual. I have to say, just sitting here listening to you guys and the way you've talked about it so far, I don't think that's a, there's any case of what one's better than the other. I think you guys balance it really nicely to assist in the discretion of the human, um, which I know for myself, there's a lot of times where I, it's having something, that reminder, I don't need to always automate it, but having that reminder of like, hey, something just happened that you need to be looking for. Now go make your own decision. So I think from what I've seen and what I've understood so far is you guys really kind of walk that balance really nicely. So I just wanted to pass that along. Yeah. Zach, what would you say our percentage of customers are actually discretionary traders? I'd, I'd imagine it's a fair, fair percent. Yeah, I'd say the majority are, are still discretionary, you know, in that, well, yeah, I, I don't really have any numbers, but, you know, if, if you are kind of that artistic mindset, you know, for our software, uh, it would be better just to use it to give you that market bias, that kind of heads up. You know, that such as, you know, be prepared to look for long trades, you know, during this period of time, uh, you know, versus short trades for this period of time. And just use that natural artistic, you know, intuition with the market, you know, to, and that'll make you the better trader. Whereas if you're the logical engineering type, then they're going to be better at producing more discrete signals and just following a strict set of rules you know, in, in trading and that's, you know, so it's just 
taking advantage, knowing yourself, first of all, you know, what type of mindset you have and then embracing that and taking advantage of that. You know, both of them, you know, can definitely in today's fast moving markets, you know, the one thing we noticed during the month of April is customers started coming to us for our Blackbird product because they couldn't keep up with how fast the market was tanking. You know, back when the market was tanking in March, you know, they were just like, the markets were so volatile, you know, customers were like, I couldn't, you know, I can't keep up with it. You know, I need some software to help me keep up with it. You know, so even if you're the artistic person, software is definitely needed in today's, you know, fast moving markets to help augment you to, you know, to speed up, you know, your trading, you know, so you can keep up with the markets. Yes. And of course, like if your uh, strategy isn't sound, nothing in the world's going to help you out. But if you're trading with a sound strategy you've developed, anything you can have that can offer you, you were talking about anything that could boost your confidence in the trade so that you're not bailing out early. So you're not just, you know, dumping things or you hold it for as long as, you know, your risk reward is for the trade. Um, that's all great stuff. It's great to have that confidence behind you. Yeah, we, we do talk a lot about confidence and our tools being a great confidence builder, not, not only from the research side, because imagine, you know, there's, there's two ways you can go about this. You can just go guns a blazing and, and jump into the markets uh, with some new idea, which is never recommended. But no. <laughs> like, how confident are you going to be doing that? You know, when you haven't really done the research or the hard work to, to know if this little change or tweak that you've made to your, your trading uh, system is is going to work or not, you know, and so that that's a very legitimate way to use uh, autom- automated uh, trading is is actually just to use it to to build to describe your system so you can be more confident trading discretionarily. But as Zach was kind of alluding to, is is like everything is so fast these days, and you know we've we've all seen that that flash crash. What was that in twenty fifteen? I think it was where basic computers are driving. Uh, the markets and 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 at actually incredible speeds, and so uh, not having kind of some sort of computer assist to execute things quicker is really make it makes it quite difficult for the retail trader to compete. Yeah, I think right now I and this is a lot of personal hypothesis, but I look back at it. Eighty seven, we had the crash. The recovery from that's a little different than we're seeing today. I think. When I look at this stuff right now, the crash that we saw the other day, you saw a lot of computer systems stop executing and it waited to find that bottom. And all of a sudden, as soon as it creates some sort of, and I'm not going to say bottom because I'm not going to say we've put the bottom in and this thing's completely done because I just can't make that speculation at this point, but we put in some sort of bottom. You can see those computers start to click in and it allows for this rally to get back to where we're at now. We're seeing the NASDAQ is now positive in 2020. I mean, that was down... 30 plus percent a month and a half ago. Um, And so I think that's what's so cool this day and age. Computers are a necessary part of this industry. You ask guys like my dad, floor guy from 80s, 90s, early 2000s, who's no longer trading because he hates computers. He'll say something else. Uh, But I grew up in this and everything to me was about having an understanding of the computers. And I think it's so important to recognize how vital these systems are to the way this market works these days. Yeah. And, it, and it's really difficult to go ahead and project 
what things are going to be like 10, you know, 20 years from now, which, you know, I assume we're all going to be living through that. God, I hope. If Corona doesn't take it. <laughs> right. Uh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> but there's some, there's some really incredible stuff on the horizon. Um, quantum computing being one of them. That's a very big interest with uh, a lot of the very well-funded hedge funds and whatnot. Quantum computing, actually, it's just kind of snuck up on uh, a lot of us. Uh, and, and a lot of the major software slash hardware companies out there are, are, are putting vast amount of money into research and development and then, like into this new technology, which uh, I'll be the first to admit, I understand almost nothing of it. Uh, I've looked at it. It's just, it is, it is crazy stuff. It is. In fact, I think people like myself that have trained with classical computing, that's what we, we call the current computers, classical, com classical computing, classical programming are going to have the most difficult time adjusting to uh, quantum programming. I mean, I looked at it and it's just absolutely mind boggling. Um, but like Google, IBM, Microsoft, uh, Amazon, they're all developing, um, quantum computing technologies. And I, it'd be no surprise to me that there are probably a ton of, uh, well-funded hedge funds out there that are doing the same thing in secrecy. Um, uh, because there's just a lot of stuff that you can wacky, wacky stuff you can yeah, do. Yeah, that, it is, it is, uh, to the untrained eye, it is just black magic effery. Absolutely. I mean, I've seen, <laughs> it deals with, I, I know just enough to know that I don't know anything about it, but it has something to do with like quantum entanglement. Like, right. Don't they have like things. So, so basically for people out there, it's something happens in one place and then they know it happened instantaneously in another place uh, because, you know, go pick up a quantum physics book sometime. It's uh, pretty yeah. wild stuff. Well, just to give you an idea of how crazy this stuff is, it's like right now, if you want to crack the encryption, um, you know, the, the quote unquote brute force method is you'd have to go through and, you know, take a, a key, for example, and then just try every single possible combination. Um, you know, 128 bit key. And I'm, I might be totally wrong with the math of this, but I, it takes more years uh, than the number of years in, in the, since the birth of the earth or something like that to, to solve with co today's computing technology uh, if they were to brute force it. Uh, but a, a quantum computer can do it in what they call uh, um, O of one time, which means it's sort of, it's sorry, it's in, they can do it in, in, a, in a reasonable time like a mind-bogglingly mind-bogglingly quick time um so much so that essentially if you got a quantum computer that's working you can almost crack just about every single encryption key out there yeah. uh, which is scary stuff and so we people have been talking about using this stuff to predict weather uh like really complex systems and then you can sort of extend that a little bit for, uh, further to imagine you can have quantum computers uh predict markets like who knows where that would go it, it'd be a pretty strange world I think we'll live in when everyone can somehow predict the market yeah. <laughs> or not everyone, but the people that have the resources to do it. I have no idea how that's going to play out. All I know is just a weird, it's a really fascinating, fascinating time to be alive. Wow. Well, I think it'll be interesting too, because at the exchange, there are certain parameters about how much you can execute in a certain amount of milliseconds. You can execute X amount of times within this amount of milliseconds. So it's like, even if the computers get so fast, how, how much is the exchange going to slow things down? But I got a question. You got my head spinning when you said, we don't know where we'll be in 20 years. Hopefully we're all here. And I, I agree with that. At some point, do you, do you think, and this is a completely out in left field, human discretion completely gone? 
that people are just going to go, look, instead of buying a license key for a platform, I'm buying a license key for this system and here's 10 grand. Like, is that going to happen? That's so hard to say. <laughs> you know, uh, I say that. Yeah, I mean, that that's already happening. You, you can pretty much go to any broker and there's lots of automated systems as every year passes. You know, there's more and more, you know, historical data on those automated systems. But, you know, there's still, I think, always going to be the mistrust of those systems. You know, if I just slap down 10 grand, sure, you showed me some great historical data, you know, but can I really trust that data? So there's always going to be, yeah, that mistrust. And so, you know, traders are always, uh, I, and I, know, I think it's human nature to always trust your own research first and foremost. You know, so, yeah, I think that will always drive the industry. And to the last point about quantum computing, you know, the good hope for us day traders is that all we need is a very small sliver of that piece of pie. So even if quantum computers are driving the markets, <laughs> all we need is just a piece of crust, you know, and we can make a good living. Right. There's <laughs> enough room in there for us. Yes. Yep. <laughs> that's, that's very true. I I was going to make kind of an aside comment and, and the thing about technology, it's kind of weird in terms of sometimes it just sneaks up on you. And so, yeah, there's this mistrust. But if you look at it, like, let's just think of an example, like back to the future for, you know, back in the 80s. And uh, they got a, quite a few things right, ironically. Um, but one thing they, they kind of didn't get right was, if you remember that one scene where, where um, one character, I think, was on some sort of video call with, uh, with, with a couple under other individuals, which, of course, back then, this is, predates the Internet. So they were kind of doing these video calls in, in Back to the Future, which is something, of course, we just absolutely just take to, for granted today. And not only that, I mean, you can have video calls on a handheld device. That was completely unthinkable back then. They didn't even, you know, that wasn't even a thought. And it wasn't like we just, you know, we were living in this world. Where we're like, oh, my God, we, we actually can do this. We can actually talk to someone on the other side of the world and see them through an image in, on, on my a handheld device that I can hold in my hand. You know, it just, again, it just sort of accumulated and, and we, it just snuck up on us. And so I think the same kind of thing is going to happen with uh, all sorts of other technologies like driving self-driving cars you know well, something like that it's interesting you use the example of the self-driving cars because i think you know 20 30 years ago everyone in sci-fi and stuff was predicting and flying cars yeah well an energy and transportation revolution so we'd be taking vacations to the moon and we'd have flying cars but we got instead was in information revolution which is just as far out there it's just we don't think about it that way uh mm -hmm. i mean you're right the iphone is just once again black magic to someone that you like i always think about it how far would you have to bring something back before you were considered a witch and i think with the iphone it's like you know 2002 or something if you brought an iphone back to 2002 you'd be a spaceman from the future Right. I think, I, well, for sure, I think that would be the case before the internet. If I recall 2002, Google was already uh, started to take, uh, started to gain some ground. And uh, I remember those days of, of playing a lot of video, online video games. Um, and so there's already a lot of collaboration online and stuff like that. But, uh, you know, definitely before the age of the internet, like this, having this communication network that where humanity can almost just connect from anywhere. And I, I remember the first time I, I was just on a browser 
a text browser back in the late 90s and the notion of me connecting to a library in a couple provinces away was just absolutely mind-blowing. Yeah. <laughs> well, mm-hmm. I guess I uh, wouldn't show my future iPhone to you then. It'd be no fun. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, an- anyway, guys, uh, we're coming up on about the time we usually cut it here. But uh, first, it's been great talking to you guys. And uh, for everyone out there, where can they find more about your products? Yeah, they can go to just simply sharkindicators.com and that'll bring up our website. And uh, both of our products, Bloodhound and Blackbird, are profiled on the homepage there. And then, you know, there's some links to to uh, get some more detailed information, you know, depending on what route, you know, or you know, get or what need, you know, someone's looking for, you know, whether they're looking for the, you know, entry signal, market bias kind of needs, or whether they're looking for order management needs. You know, they can choose between the two products there. Perfect. Well, glad you're able to throw that out there for everyone. Dan, I had a great time talking to uh, Jeremy and Zach. Yeah, this was awesome. It's different. It's it's fun to get a different viewpoint. We, we're always talking with traders to hear kind of the software side, the tech side opens things up for myself. So I really appreciate you guys taking the time. Yeah, thanks for having us. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Yeah, this was a lot of fun. Thanks for stopping by. And we'll uh, give a few more pearls of wisdom right after this sound effect. All right, everyone. Thanks so much for making it to the end of the Limit Up podcast presented by Top Step Trader. If you haven't, be sure to subscribe and rate this podcast. Be sure to uh, subscribe and check out our blog. Uh, It's usually me and John the Dancing Bear Doherty throwing down articles over there. Thanks again to Jeremy and Zach for stopping by. Uh, That was great. Love the technological stuff. I do too. It's it's so interesting to me. And at one point in my career, I was working with a firm and we were trying to develop an algorithm around the brains of a group of us that were options traders. We spent, I think, three years trying to develop something. And just knowing what goes into coding these systems is unbelievable. And to see the mindset behind it, is, it was it was really, really enjoyable. I know. How do you code a vibe? Right. I have an inclination that premium is going to go up. Computers don't do well with those inclinations, do they? But um, anyway, it's Thursday. Dan, if you do uh, drive by any more bars this week between next, you'll have to give us the report. We'll have a little anecdotal evidence on the ground. I will wait until after Friday. Friday, Jack and I will be in the office. I figured it's probably smart for me not to go into one until I'm not seeing people from work. Yeah, we'll keep it all uh, kosher and social distance. I got a whole bag of masks from my mom. So (laughs) we'll be, uh, yeah, (laughs) this is like a, you know, run on the mask. I feel like every mom in the world is just (laughs) battening down the hatches. Oh, my mom had her tailor custom making masks for us. So we all have our custom tailored masks. So you got the uh, cashmere pinstriped. Yeah, it's got the, uh, it's got like a logo on the side of the the company that made it whole nine yards. Oh, that's sexy. All right. I mean, sexy in a cool way, all right? (laughs) Anyway, it's Thursday, which means it's one day away from Friday, where once upon a time, we would go out and to bars and what have you. But in the meantime, have a great weekend, however you're going to spend it. It is Memorial Day in the United States. So uh, beyond having Monday off, let's also pour one out for all the people that threw down their lives for the United States. 
Dan, do you have any Memorial Day message you want to send out there? Uh, yeah, one of my best friends, Josh Powell. We lost him a few years back. Um, that would be my – he's the one I'll be thinking about this weekend. You can also check him out on the Josh Powell Foundation. His wife started for him in remembrance. So I will I will drop that one in here. Yeah, we'll drop that in there. Check out the – what was again? Josh Powell. The Josh website. Powell Foundation. The Josh Powell Foundation. All right. Um, so have a somber Memorial Day. Have a great weekend. Stay safe. Trade well. <laughs> Wait, what's that? I keep on <laughs> reversing the last couple of things. You know, you, you can leave that in there, editor. Why not? I'm getting tongue-tied here. Let's try it one more time. I'm going to stick the landing on this one. Have a somber Memorial Day. Have a wonderful weekend. Stay safe. Namaste. And trade well. The Limit Up Podcast is produced by Dante32. Futures and Forex trading contain substantial risk and is not for every investor. An investor could potentially lose all or more than their initial investment. Risk capital is money that can be lost without jeopardizing one's financial security or lifestyle. Only risk capital should be used for trading, and only those with sufficient risk capital should consider trading. Past performance is not necessarily indicative of future results.